You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Evil Quest ransomware has been found in pirated versions of the Little Snitch app, out-of-band patches from Microsoft and Oracle, extensive Chinese surveillance of Uyghurs has been described, Hong Kong and the world react to China's new national security law. The U.S. FCC finds both Huawei and ZTE are threats to national security. Joe Kerrigan on password stealers that target gaming. Our guest is Kirsten Todd from the Cyber Readiness Institute on how COVID-19 has changed small business security and what to expect going forward. And Britain rethinks its position on Huawei and 5G infrastructure. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, July 1st, 2020. Researchers at Malwarebytes have discovered a strain of ransomware, EvilQuest, that's afflicting Mac systems through a malicious version of the legitimate Little Snitch software. They first found EvilQuest in a pirated copy of Little Snitch that was being hawked with torrent links on a Russian-language forum. The malicious version has a package installer file, which, of course, the legitimate app doesn't. HelpNet Security, which has been talking to researchers at Jamf, note that the absence of some of the usual instructions on how to pay the ransom suggests that EvilQuest might actually amount to a smokescreen for some other activity. It's a developing story, but for now, it's safest to take EvilQuest at its word, consider it ransomware, and, as Malwarebytes advises, Keep a good offline backup of your files. Microsoft issued two out-of-band patches yesterday to address remote code execution vulnerabilities in Windows 10 and Windows Server 2019, ZDNet reports. Redmond wasn't the only place vendors got busy with quick patches. Mozilla released Firefox 78 yesterday, but then stopped the rollout when it was discovered that the new version came with several search issues. Leaping Computer says Mozilla made a fix available this morning. Turning to the rest of the cybersecurity news, which today is dominated by news about China. Chinese government surveillance of its predominantly Muslim Uyghur minority was apparently both more extensive and began earlier than generally appreciated, the New York Times reports. Researchers at the San Francisco-based security firm Lookout today published the results of their study of the campaign, and they've determined that the intrusive monitoring began at least in 2013 and wasn't confined to domestic targets, but extended to the Uyghur diaspora worldwide. Lookout determined that installation of various forms of spyware, 
in Android phones used by the targets was the beginning of a comprehensive surveillance effort that eventually extended to collecting blood samples, voice prints, facial scans, and other personal data. They found connections among eight strains of malware they investigated. The campaign was, of course, concentrated in the western region of Xinjiang, where most Uyghurs live. The New York Times observes, without apparent irony, that the measures transformed the region into a virtual police state. But it was unrelenting in its pursuit of Uyghurs who went abroad, either permanently or temporarily. As many as 14 other countries may have been affected. The malware was tied to Uyghur language keyboards and for the most part consisted of trojanized versions of otherwise legitimate apps, likely to be attractive to Uyghur users. Authorities eventually took steps to ensure that the targets of their surveillance kept their infected phones. Having a second phone, using an outmoded and thus presumably uninfected phone, dumping a phone for no good reason or not having a phone at all, could get you confined to a detention camp. The campaign has been run by the Chinese threat group variously known as Vixen Panda, APT-15, Kichang, Mirage, or Playful Dragon. They paid some attention to Tibetan, but their central focus was always on the Uyghurs. Lookout acknowledges the theoretical possibility that the surveillance campaign was actually the work of patriotic hacktivists acting in the spirit of Beijing, although not actually under immediate government direction, but come on, they conclude, that theoretical possibility is pretty unlikely. Beijing's new national security law, enacted principally, although not exclusively, with Hong Kong in mind, has moved residents of the formerly semi-autonomous city to begin doing whatever they can to reduce their online traces before full enforcement is complete, according to the Nikkei Asian Review. While justified in terms of restoring stability and prosperity to Hong Kong, the new law has a global reach. Quartz claims that it criminalizes any criticism of the Chinese Communist Party anywhere, by anyone, Chinese or foreign national. Politico says the European Union has begun considering a coordinated response to the new law. The UK has decided to take a direct and immediate step to help Hong Kongers caught by what London calls a clear violation of the agreement under which Hong Kong was returned to Chinese sovereignty 23 years ago today. The South China Morning Post has confirmed that more than 3 million citizens of Hong Kong will be offered British national passports. The passports would give the holders the right to settle in the UK for five years, at which point they would receive settled status and be able to apply for citizenship. One of the lasting effects of the COVID-19 global pandemic is an ongoing sense of uncertainty. No one is immune, and it's made planning particularly challenging for small businesses. Kirsten Tott is managing director of the Cyber Readiness Institute, and she shares her insights on how COVID-19 has changed small business security. The Cyber Readiness Institute was founded in 2017. Uh, in 2016, I served as the executive director of President Obama's Commission on Enhancing National Cybersecurity. And toward the end of that commission, several of the commissioners and I got together to talk through how to continue the efforts by focusing on issues that we still feel and felt needed to uh, have more resources and time focused on them, and specifically small business cybersecurity. As you look toward the future, what what sort of uh, environment do you you suppose we're going to find ourselves in? Do you are are you hopeful that we're going to uh, do a better job with this as we move forward? 
Well, I think it's a very interesting question because we've been very focused on how to address the pandemic world and the remote workforce, all of these issues um, that are surrounding it. And when we've talked about going to the new normal, uh, we've often talked a lot about you know what it means to take the lessons of this uh, these last two months. But I think as we're listening to how companies are starting to think about um, moving back to the new normal, which is really moving forward uh, to the new normal, we know that especially in 2020, uh, very few companies will be bringing their whole workforce back into the office. I think, you know, I'll be surprised truly if any large company does. Already, we've heard from the tech companies, um, larger companies are talking about the fall, bringing back 25% of the workforce so to me, what that means is that the new normal, the new moving forward is going to be a hybrid of both a remote workforce and uh, bringing back to the, the physical workspace. And that in itself comes with new challenges, because while securing an entirely remote workforce is difficult, there is a consistency about that. But if you're split between uh, physical infrastructure and everyone's remote homework infrastructure, and there's a balance and there's a rotation there is a lot of opportunity for inconsistencies. And so I think the thing we need to be thinking about from a cybersecurity perspective is how to secure the hybrid workforce as we look into the future. So for the folks who are professionals in the cybersecurity realm, uh, what can they do? How do they help spread the word about the, the types of efforts that you're undertaking here? So one of the things that we offer, um, all of our tools, as I mentioned earlier, are free. And so if you go on to our website, uh, which is uh, bcyberready.com, you can register for the program, but you also have access to the documents. Uh, we've been in touch with a lot of global organizations, uh, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, uh, the Universal Postal Union, and others. And we're just encouraging them to send our content to their stakeholders. Again, our objective is not to uh, require small businesses to buy anything but to truly invest in the workforce, because at the end of the day, cybersecurity is grounded in human behavior. Human behavior can be a force multiplier for security, or it can be one of the most dangerous vulnerabilities in an organization. That's Kirsten Tott from the Cyber Readiness Institute. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission has formally designated both Huawei and ZTE as threats to the U.S. national security. The FCC decision will, as Reuters and others point out, prevent U.S. carriers from using money from the Universal Service Fund, which controls $8.2 billion, to purchase equipment from either company. The FCC also said that Congress would need to appropriate funds to compensate companies who now will have to rip and replace gear from the two Chinese manufacturers. Rural telecom carriers are most affected by the decision. And U.S. sanctions in general are changing the cost-benefit calculations of prospective Huawei users in other countries as well. The BBC reports that the British government is rethinking its own mildly restrictive, mildly permissive approach to allowing Chinese companies to participate in the U.K.'s 5G infrastructure. The U.S. sanctions that forbid Huawei and its third-party suppliers from using U.S. technology and software to manufacture their goods are well designed to pressure countries that use Huawei kit to revise their permissions. British Defense Secretary Ben Wallace called the U.S. measures, which come into full effect in September, a better set of sanctions than the earlier set. They're specifically clearly designed in a smarter way to put countries that have high-risk vendors, specifically Huawei, under greater pressure. In any case, the U.K. and other countries are taking a noticeably harder line toward Huawei in particular, 
British authorities see the current situation in which the alternatives to the Chinese vendor are Ericsson and Nokia as a market failure. They're supporting the entry of Samsung and NEC into the market to diversify the supply chain. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, During this time of pandemic, when folks are spending a lot more time at home, Mm -hmm. uh, that means that for a lot of people, they're spending a lot more time online playing games. Now, you're a bit of a gamer, aren't you, Joe? Yes, I've been playing a lot of Fortnite, Dave. (laughs) <laughs> okay and we had a, a little bit of PUBG, but mostly Fortnite. all right well uh I, I suspect you're not alone there we had an interesting article come by and this is uh reporting that kaspersky has been reviewing some password stealers that's targeting gamers what's yeah, going on here joe the, what's happening is they're uh they're somehow getting these trojans these malicious actors are getting these trojans onto users machines and then they're targeting these gaming platforms like battle.net origin and uplay and attempts of stealing session cookies uh, or session session tokens, not really cookies because it's not a web browser. But if if I can steal someone's session token, that doesn't give me their username and password, but it does let me uh, essentially connect as them, and then I can transfer valuable in-game items out to myself if the platform allows that. This was a problem years ago with World of Warcraft. Uh, do you remember, uh, did you ever play World of Warcraft? I did not, but I, I'm certainly from uh, know of the game. Right. I was never a big player of that game. Actually, I never did play it. I, I didn't care for it. But the 
the idea was you would collect all this, uh, all these amazing items. But if someone got into your account, they could just transfer those items to themselves and then sell them for money later. Uh, and there was an entire black market around that. There may still be. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if people still play the game. But uh, some of these Trojans actually don't just go after your gaming data. Some of them will will sit there silently and wait until you start connecting to certain websites. And when you visit that website, the malware will activate and start gathering data, essentially just being a keylogger on these hmm. uh, on the website so they can collect your username and password information. Hmm. They note also that they, they may be going after credit card information as well. Oh, yeah, they're going after credit card and banking information uh, with these Trojans. Uh, I don't know how much at risk you are for credit card losses here. I mean, I think that's probably a, a, a minimal risk to the user. Uh, unless you have a debit card, that can be a little bit more devastating. But uh, if you can get a credit card, I recommend using a credit card for any online transactions uh, because that's not your money. And if you file a uh, purchase as being fraudulent, then you're not out any, anything. Uh, whereas yeah. with a debit card, you can be out up to 50 bucks, and it may may take some time for you to get your money back. Yeah. What are they recommending here in terms of uh, protecting yourself if you're a gamer? Well, th there is one thing that you should always do, uh, and that is set up two-factor authentication, right? Even if your login, you, your username and password have been stolen, uh, they will not be able to access your account if, the, if you have two-factor authentication on. And we, we talk about that frequently, what the various forms of two-factor authentication are. But any, any form of two-factor authentication is a lot better than no two-factor authentication. Uh, <laughs> right, right. It's just, just do it. It's great. Uh, only download gaming modifications from trusted sources. Apparently, that's where some of these are coming from, these mods. Uh, you can get mods everywhere. I know that Steam actually will publish mods uh, for their games. You can actually write a mod for, for a game and then publish it on Steam, and then Steam vets it, and then you can download it. We actually uh, actually did this. My uh, my daughter's fiance did this with a Civ mod that just made the game completely non-competitive, but it was his experimentation with a mod, uh, and mm. it was available on Steam, and we could we could download it. Um, <laughs> Reminds me of the uh, fast shoot version of Galaga. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite mod. That's that was a great mod. I remember that one. Old it school. Was just, yeah, you just <laughs> wipe everything out in a couple of seconds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they say use a reliable security solution. And of course, because this is from Kaspersky, they say Kaspersky Security Cloud is a great solution, but there are uh, tons <laughs> of other security solutions out there. Uh, right. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't use Kaspersky, but you know, just understand this This is a Kaspersky article. Uh, yeah. But there are, lots, there are lots of services out there. And some, uh, one of the things they note here is that, is that their product has a gaming mode because a lot of times games will do things like particularly when they're using their anti-cheat software, they'll do things that look malicious. So your, your antivirus software may flag it uh, as malicious and may stop it from happening. But Kaspersky says, don't turn it off. Don't turn off the security when you're playing a game. They, their product has a gaming mode that reduces CPU load. So if you're playing on a PC, uh, you may be playing where every, every processor operation counts, right? In, in, right? Right, right, So turning off that antivirus may seem like an attractive idea, but don't do it. Use a, a, an antivirus that has a gaming mode that just reduces the load. The advantage is you're not really doing much else other than playing a game at the time. So there's not a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of, lot of stuff going on. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, good advice if you're uh, someone out there who's spending some more time uh, gaming during all this to help you get through it. Uh, some words of... Uh, warning here to uh, make sure that uh, you're not being targeted. Absolutely. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.